Loss helps us define our lives. By allowing our grief to matter, we discover our own strengths and embrace our authentic selves. Welcome to Good Grief with your host, Cheryl Jones. Get ready to be inspired, to create a deeper life, to make your time on Earth much more meaningful. Now, here is Cheryl Jones. Hello, I'm your host, Cheryl Jones, and I want to welcome you to Good Grief, where we talk each week about the transformations that can come from loss. Today, I'm welcoming Kara Bowman. Kara is a licensed marriage and family therapist who specializes in grief and trauma. She holds advanced certifications in grief counseling, trauma, and thanatology, the study of death and dying. Kara is passionate about helping people who are grieving through her private practice as a hospice volunteer by giving talks to the public and training therapists. Her book, Heartbreak to Hope, or Poems of Support for Grief and Loss, is a collection of original poems designed to help people through the grieving process. She lives with her husband in Santa Cruz, California, and you can find her at griefpoetry.com or carabowman.com. Welcome, Kara. Hi, thank you for having me. Uh, yeah, it's it's nice to when I get to interview people that are kind of in my general area because <laughs> often people are very far away. So we we share a, we're what an hour and a half away from mm-hmm. each other or so. Yep. So um, I guess the logical place to start, you know, one thing that does stand out about your uh, experience is that grief really changed your professional direction quite deeply. Can you just say how that all came about and how you ended up as a grief counselor? That's always part of this whole things that come out of loss subject. Sure. Um, I had a completely different career or more than one career. I I had an MBA actually and worked in finance and then I stayed home and was homeschooling my children. And um, I had been untouched by, by loss and, and death and even, even much uh, hardship in my life until um, a period of that I still find somewhat unbelievable. Um, in five years, um, we lost our best friends um, a couple to to murder. Um, mm. We lost people. I lost people in my life to suicide, to um, two people to cancer, um, one to an accident, a very bizarre accident, um, one to another illness. Um, and then at the same in the same five year period, my husband was diagnosed with cancer. And two of my three children were diagnosed with cancer. Um, my husband also almost died from H1N1. Um, very, this COVID uh, was very reminiscent of of that period for me. Mm-hmm. He was he was in the mm-hmm. ER on life support, and um, for they brought me in to say goodbye to him six times. Actually, um, told me he was dying. So he uh, he has a, an incurable cancer, but he's still with us. And my two children have have now been cured of cancer. 
Um, so that was all in a five-year period. So my my untouched life was was very touched after that. <laughs> I would say immersed, 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 immersed. Um, the the first tragedy, um, which was the murder, was was a shock. Um, I I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to deal with with hard emotions. I didn't even know what they were. Um, emotions of that magnitude um, and and that kind of fear, uncertainty. Um, um, I didn't know anything about how to attend to myself um, and care for myself. And I actually got pretty good at grief. I got pretty good at at dealing with things. Um, I, I learned a lot. I learned about a lot about myself and I learned a lot theoretically. Um, I went at the toward the end of this period i i went back to school to become a therapist not knowing i would go into grief but my first um internship happened to be at hospice and i absolutely fell in love with the work it was in grief counseling grief therapy and i found that i just viscerally understood people and i could put into words things that they didn't even have words for yet it was easy for me i mm-hmm. i could guess what they were feeling. That you knew the they, territory, huh? Mm-hmm. I knew the territory, <laughs> and and they, I knew what they were feeling, and I could, I had language for it because I was on the other side somewhat, um, and I loved the work. I I could hold this hope that people would get better and feel better and find a life again when they couldn't hold that hope for themselves, and. Um, I did some several other internships, but I immediately um, got some advanced training in grief. I, I got um, several advanced certifications and went into that as my my midlife career change, and have now been doing that for quite some time, and absolutely love it. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, typically, those of us that are drawn to this work. There is an underlying draw because of our own experiences and the and the idea that we can use our experiences. For me, that's very redeeming. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, I I didn't have I had an immersion in one person's ten year illness and death, right? As opposed mm-hmm. to many 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 people. But it's that same. I learned so much in that period of time, both before, during, and after her death. And I appreciate being able to share that and having it make be useful to people. I, I think I hear that in what you're saying as well. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I, I think of it as a club that nobody wants to be in, but only people in the club really get it, really understand what it's like to be in it. And and so we who are in it can can help others in a way that those who aren't in it, no matter how well-meaning, um, they just there's something um, intangible that 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 we have that they don't have, and maybe scary. I mean, what mm-hmm. I find for myself is I'm not frightened of that ter- territory. It's it's very comfortable at this point. Um, and if you haven't, it's sort of this terrible thing everyone runs away from. But then when when it happens, they want to you know, tell you you'll be fine the next day. You know, it's this weird combination. 
and people who've really taken a dive into their own grief just don't have those kinds of resistances, I guess, typically. That's a great point. We we can move toward it. And that's what people need. They need to tell their stories over and over again. They need people who aren't afraid to talk about it and to be with them in it. And for other people, it's so unfamiliar and scary and they don't know what to do. They don't know what to say. They don't understand it. Yeah, that's a good point. Mm-hmm. And also there's not, I think there are cultures who do do better with that. <laughs> We're absolutely <a> silent, <laughs> you know, stoic sort of culture, which um, doesn't give people clues about what might be useful. I hope that's changing a little bit for sure. I'd love for you to, obviously, the other thing that came out of all those experiences for you was uh, your book of poems, Heartbreak to Hope. And I'd love to give listeners a little a little sense of that. Um, the poem Love, to me, really does speak to that um, befriending of our feelings. And mm-hmm. I wonder if you could share that one. Sure, I'd love to. That That is one of my favorite because this is this is what I learned through grief, how to, how to handle my feelings. Take good care of your precious pain. Wrap your strong arms around it. Hold it against your warm chest. Rock it gently, telling it softly that it is loved. It is needed. It is important. It makes perfect sense. And love it, just as it is in all of its agonizing beauty. I feel as if that captures what's behind nearly everything that I do in therapy with grievers mm-hmm. um, to to try to encourage them to um, make sense to themselves. Yes, every feeling you're having makes perfect sense in the context of loss and and kind of embrace themselves. Um, that idea is so foreign to most people. It takes a while to get the hang of that. And I wonder if there are particular um, practices or things you experienced after all of those, not just losses, but very traumatic losses that helped you to get to that place. Um, that's a very big question because everyone is an individual. I can tell you what worked for me, but that's not necessarily what will work for everyone else. Um, for sure. Everyone comes into grief with a relationship with emotions. And so one of the things I do as a therapist is I try to understand that person's relationship to emotions. Do they do they welcome all their feelings? Do they push away hard feelings? Do they are they cut off from their feelings and don't know how they feel? Um, what is the voice in their head? Um, we all talk to ourselves. We all have a voice in our head. Is it harsh? Is it judgmental? Is it warm? Is it supportive? Um, so, so I think one of the things I learned in grief is that I had a very um, harsh and um, taskmaster voice in my head. And I mm-hmm. thought that hard feelings were a waste of time. Um, and, um, I, I had one person, not a client, somebody in my family who lost a spouse. And he said to me after, um, two months, 
he decided, okay, that was enough time grieving. It's time to get on with it and stop grieving. And he just decided that. Um, as you can imagine, that kind of relationship with feelings comes out um, sideways in other areas of his life, in his relationships and in his ability to, you know, handle feelings when they overwhelm him. So, so um, I had to change the voice in my head. I had to, I had to, um, learn that when I had feelings, they always made sense. And I didn't even have to understand why and how. Um, they just given my background, my history, my current situation, my feelings were there for a reason. And turning toward them was the only way um, I was going to get through it. Um, being a grief counselor has taught me so, so much. I have actually seen the people in my practice who tried to wall off their feelings. And I have seen people come in seeing the secondary effects of grief not not felt, not experienced um, 12 years after loss, 20 years after loss, and 40 years after loss, and even 50 years after loss. And, oh, I, I, I amen to that. Uh -huh. I, I've certainly had many people to come to try to sort it out about uh, losing a parent, for instance, when they uh -huh. were a kid and yeah. just had no had no support with it, really, you know, yeah. kind of just got shut down about it. Yeah. Well, especially sure losing a parent as a child. As well. well, yes, yes, I definitely have. And especially losing a parent as a child, because that's something that has to be reinterpreted and reunderstood and reprocessed as as we age the effect on us as our brain changes and as, as we change, that's something that really has to be reprocessed. Um, mm -hmm. so, so this whole, um, this whole sense of, um, you know, kindness towards oneself, I can't even uh, enumerate how many times a client has said, you're going to think I'm crazy, but, mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and I'm always, always thinking in my head, that is extremely unlikely. Mm -hmm. you know, and and whatever people say next, it isn't crazy. It makes right. to me absolute sense. But we we are taught to think that big emotions mean we're crazy, don't don't aren't we? Well, they're they're terrifying. And big emotions. I mean, they're if you haven't dealt with them before in your life, then you don't know where the bottom is, and it seems the overwhelm. And the uncertainty and the unpredictability, I, I've, I hear this fear all the time, and I've had it myself. It, it means, am I going to lose my mind? Am I, gonna, am I going to, where is this going to end? Am I going to, um, you know, become depressed and never get out of it? Want to kill myself, be hospitalized, you know, mm -hmm. not think rationally. You know, people don't know where the bottom is because this is a this is an extreme they've never seen before. So I totally understand. Yes. That. Mm -hmm. Before we go to the break, on that note, I wonder if you'd share the big waves because um, it it really connected with a with an idea a metaphor I have around grief and kind of kind of to me captures some of what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. um, the, the sense of being out of control and what we can influence in our emotions and what we can't. Could you share that? Sure. And so anyone who's who's suffered a loss knows about grief bursts. And this was 
my way of relating grief first to my local environment here in Santa Cruz. Um, they say you can surf the big waves if you know how. The trick isn't in fancy techniques above water. The secret is to hold your breath underwater for an entire wave. The time seems interminable, the depth unnavigable. But with practice, a person can endure and resurface. The real danger is in two or three waves right on top of each other. Staying down is the only way. Waiting, not until you are done, but until the waves are done with you. Settling into the peace of the deep wetness, conserving energy for your eventual swim to the surface where the sun will make itself known once again. I resonate with that image so much. I, I often think about early grief in particular as um, being being in a stormy sea with no boat, mm. uh, you know, and then over time, we kind of build a boat under us a little more, right? We might mm-hmm. get tossed out here and there, but we've got a boat um, th- that really uh, captures some of that, although you're talking about waves, which, of course, a lot of people experience grief as big waves you know, going over them all the time. And that idea of surrender, I I feel most people in our current world are pretty bad at um, not being in charge. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And that that's part of what really makes grief hard. Would you agree? Absolutely. The number one one question I get is, what do I do? And what do I do? Yeah. And the answer I always say is, unfortunately, with grief, or fortunately, maybe with grief, there's, there's nothing you can do. It's something you have to allow. Mm-hmm. Yes, we're, we're on the same wavelength about that for mm-hmm. sure. And, and that is hard for it's- people who are used, especially um, people who are very practical and are mm-hmm. used to being able to take steps to improve things. Yeah, uh, I even found that with the loss of um, COVID restrictions, you know, mm-hmm. that was a loss from one day to the next of people's lives. Mm-hmm. And the most effective people that were in my therapy practice had the hardest time mm-hmm. because there was nothing to do. You had to just do it, but be uh, there was no action to take to improve it. And then, of course, the comparisons between, well, I shouldn't really feel so bad because other people are losing family members and everything. But sure. we had literally lost our lives from one day to the next. Yeah, so thank you. I think that was yeah, a huge loss. I appreciate you saying that. that when, when you start looking at the the what grief is, which is loss of something you care about, you start seeing it everywhere. And everywhere, everywhere. You start seeing it everywhere. And you're right that all there is to do, it's very hard for people in this culture to, I, I had a client who was um, a, a dog trainer and she had a necklace to remind herself of how to grieve. And it said, sit, stay, heal, H-E-A-L. <laughs> That's good. That's good. It's time for our 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 break. Um, I I want to end it on this on this note. My favorite definition of grie- grief is simply the distance between what we want to be true and what's true. Mm. <laughs> that That's... one works for me in nearly every case, even traffic. <laughs> That's beautiful. <laughs> 
Listeners, you'll find links to my website and social media at the Good Grief page at Voice America, also a link to my novel. You can like me on Facebook, follow me on Twitter, etc., etc. And to find Kara Bowman, you can go to griefpoetry.com or karabowman.com. It's K-A-R-A-B-O-W-M-A-N. Be back soon. Be sure to like the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel on Facebook. You'll find great health tips from the experts. Find out more about your favorite shows and talk back to our team. Search Voice America Health or click the like button under the player today. This is Good Grief host Cheryl Jones. Whether you're in grief, crisis, deep loss, or transition, working with the right therapist can move you forward like nothing else. That's why I'm happy to be sponsoring BetterHelp. Their user-friendly platform connects you with a therapist uniquely suited to support you. If you want to know more, follow the link on my host page or go to betterhelp.com slash goodgrief. That's betterhelp.com slash goodgrief and receive a 10% discount for the first month. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Resiliency is the human capacity to lean into individual and collective strengths with compassion and grit when faced with the challenges of lived experience. Join host Elaine miller Karras for Resiliency Within, a program of hope and healing designed to inspire you to integrate wellness into your life, your family, and your community. In challenging times, you'll want to tune in every week. Resiliency Within can be heard every Monday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on The Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. This is your host, Cheryl Jones, and I've been talking with Kara Bowman about her own grief, her work as a grief and trauma counselor, and her book of poetry, Heartbreak to Hope. And um, I think we, you know, it stood out when you enumerated all the losses you had in that five-year period, that they were not all death losses. It seems as if we do share a perspective that loss is just anything you want to be, uh, you want to have that you then lose, including illness, because uh, I, I really experienced, in some ways, my wife's illness was more crushing than her death at first, uh, mm-hmm. because I had so much anxiety. Um, I had been expecting her death. I'd kind of learned how to 
navigate it, lots of feelings and all that, but I was fine with having them. And I didn't have a huge increase of anxiety when she died, but I sure did when she got diagnosed. Does it have to do with the control issue that you feel like there's something you should do to control it when she's ill and there's nothing you can do to control it when she's? You know, I think actually just lingering on in a minute, I think it's I was less good at riding my emotions. I see. I was I was less good at letting them come in, feeling them, letting them go. And so there was much more fear. So there was more um, fear. There's something else different about those two periods. One, when you're in the illness, you're doing a lot. There, there's a lot to do. And there's a lot coming at you every day. And when somebody dies, there's nothing to do but be with your grief. <laughs> yes. And raise children. I was raising and raise children. children. Yeah. Which, <laughs> yeah. But, but, and- but yes, no, the, it's true. There was a lot more quiet space to just have my feelings. And mm-hmm. that might have been part of it. But I do think because I've had losses since then, both my parents, friends, et cetera, um, you can get better. Yes. It's never the same twice, but you can certainly get better at grieving. Don't you think? Absolutely. And so you you um, learned some skills in her illness that you then used in her death, it sounds like. I do believe so. And I think you're you're talking about that too, that you learned over time how to be kind to yourself, how to accept what was happening, surrender, that your your um, poem, The Waves, is, is really about that, isn't it? About it is. surrendering and, I, and, and not having to make something happen. I had a very dramatic moment. Most people, it's a little less dramatic, but... Um, this was um, not too long after the murder. My my husband, uh, before the, his cancer diagnosis, um, he got uh, H1N1, which was the swine flu. And this was before there was a vaccine, before when very little was no, known about it. So think about the beginning of COVID in the winter um, before, you know, maybe in, in March. Um, it was, it was akin to that. And so he didn't feel good, went to the doctor. The doctor said, well, why don't we check into the hospital just for observation? You don't look too bad. And he went to the hospital. Um, he was laughing because he'd never been in a hospital. We were taking photos of him and, and calling the kids. And And an hour later, they were rushing him down the hall on a gurney to the ICU and took an x-ray of his chest and less than two hours after we checked into the hospital, less than three hours after we were standing in the doctor's office, a doctor told me it doesn't look like he's going to make it. And I said, it's like, a, uh, I don't know. Yeah. We, it's, we not, went to the, it's not a punch to the gut. It's so much bigger. <laughs> it's so much bigger. Yeah. It's a punch to everything. <laughs> I, I, uh, we, uh, yeah, we went to the doctor thinking he had the flu. And then um, in less than three hours, he, I was told he doesn't look like he's going to make it. And I sat down, they were working on him. So I left the room and sat down on the floor in the hallway of the hospital because my head was just swimming. I couldn't stand up. And I said to myself, you know, you can handle this the way you've handled everything in the past in your life, which was freaking out. Um, 
not not so much externally, but internally. I was calm externally, but um, mm-hmm. getting upset, being full of fear, um, going to worst case scenario, or you've got all these tools you've learned. I'd been through a lot of workshops. I'd done a lot of learning, um, read a lot of books, or you can try to handle this differently. And I thought, I know what it looks like to handle this with my old coping mechanisms. I'm going to try something new. And so the way I'd always, I've looked back on that is I'd been through boot camp and gotten the tools and this was the war. And the way I decided Mm. I was going to handle it was with presence. I wasn't going to think about the future. All I was going to think about is what I knew now in this moment. So I felt the floor on underneath me. I felt the wall on my back. I felt my legs with my hands. I felt the temperature of the air. I listened to what was going on in the room behind me. I knew that he was alive in this moment. I know in this moment he's alive. They will tell me if he's not. Um, And I said, I'm not going to go backward and second guess anything we did because that's over. We made the best decisions we could at the moment with the information we had. And I'm not going to go forward because I don't know what the future holds. I'm going to be present. And that got me through everything I told you about. Um, that That's what got me through. That was the new coping mechanism I used to replace the old. And so being present included um, being present with my with physical sensations, with what I knew in the moment, and being present with my own feelings. And also being in your body because mm-hmm. I sort yes. of think that think of that as the most critical element of dealing with trauma. Uh, of course, trauma is a particular kind of loss, you know, very extreme kind of loss, but um, you, you touched your legs, you, you know, felt your breath, you, you did all kinds of things. It sounds like to stay in your body. Absolutely. And I, and it's empowering because trauma is about disempowerment. And what couldn't I do? I couldn't control whether he lived or died. What could I do? I could control how present I was. I could control how connected I was to my own experience. I could control, um, you know, I, I controlled what I could control. So trauma is about empowerment. And I empowered myself. Yeah. And I have to think if he had, in fact, died, um, that would really, uh, to be fully present in that moment leaves you with very little regret, right? You've done, you've been there, you've showed up. (laughs) And, uh, you know, I feel as if that does plague people a lot in grief, the ways in which they didn't or couldn't or... Uh, you know, just that sense of presence is a big help, I think, in grief. Is that your experience? That's a wonderful observation because I've I've sat with people. I have a client right now who is just torn up with guilt because, and there's no blame here, but her mind was just in denial when her husband was dying. So she didn't, she not only didn't have any conversations with him, she wasn't present because she was in fear she mm-hmm. was pushing him to get out of bed and do physical activity because she thought he was going to get better. 
And she wouldn't accept what the doctors told her, which is that he was, wasn't going to get better. And um, she got mad at the doctors. So she was in anger and fear. Um, and rather than presence and rather than connection with him um, in the last month of his life. And that is haunting her more than anything else right now. And she didn't have That's, the skills. I've just, mm-hmm. I have just heard that story so, so, so oh. often, you know, mm-hmm. different versions of that, the ways in which we, we, there's another part of it, which is um, that if response is your responsibility, you mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. if response is your job, then you have to accept reality because you can't respond to something you don't look at, you know? So there's that piece of it too. She didn't accept what was clearly in front of her. Yeah. And she, that's, a, that's a natural mistake to make for sure, but how painful. Well, she couldn't possibly, she, she had a, yeah, I, I, I mean, I've got no, no blame or judgment. Um, exactly. You're, you're, you're right. She, she had a history of trauma, and he was the only thing in her life that was standing between her and her trauma history. And she, losing him, she thought was was losing herself. Um, so it's been a long, slow climb back for her. Mm. Um, so that and you know just as a side note i do think um feeling we did something wrong is at first a little easier to grasp than we did the best that we could but we're not in control <laughs> for for a lot of people being out of control is is worse than feeling guilty oh absolutely because that makes it a scary world right right there's your 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 Pray to the vicissitudes of the world, perhaps. Yes, that makes it a very scary world. So what I find I'm often dealing with is, and, I, and I'm sure you too, is, is these, these deeply held belief systems in people, you know, thoughts about themselves, thoughts about other people, thoughts about the world. Um, and that's when, when people have... Um, healthy support of helpful belief systems they really don't need help grieving they they know how to do that for themselves they know how to get the support they need but the people who who need to go to therapists are people who blame themselves and um, are terrified of not having control people people who have um, quirks in their thinking usually from childhood that make it harder to grieve I think that's true of a lot of people, but I also think there's a huge uh, population of people who at least come to me for, for grief counseling who just don't have um, places to be fully heard, circling back to what we were talking about at the beginning, yes. that people are not good at just holding space um, and just listening right? Absolutely. Um, there's, an, there's an empathy dearth in a lot of people's lives. So I think that's another reason people come, you know, not to fix anything, just to be heard by someone. Absolutely. I had a, I had a Latino client who, um, in, in the Latino community, people like to, they grieve communally a lot. They like to be with other people, but not talk about the death. And 
it was driving him um, bonkers. He he wanted to talk about the death and um, he needed a place just to go talk about it um, and not just be with other people. Um, and when he tried to bring it up with the people he loved, they would say, Shh, don't talk about that. It was was mm. not not to be done in in his in his circle. There's a Swedish proverb that I just love because it's been actually borne out by research recently. It says, "Shared joy is a double joy. Shared sorrow, sorrow is half a sorrow." God, I love that. Mm. Yeah, it's beautiful. So I I totally agree with you. People who don't have support systems who know how to listen do need help. And there are other people. There there are all kinds of people who are at risk for complicated grief who need help. I, I'm I was just naming sure the biggest group sure, I sure. saw. That's mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Let's let's share another poem that that you know comes to my mind in this in mm-hmm. this um subject area. What to do. Mm-hmm. Could you share that one? Certainly. It's difficult to know what to do. When the world changes in an instant, when the land is alien, when there are so many things to figure out, when there's no understanding, when there are so many people to support, when knees are buckling, when thoughts are cloudy and vague, when nothing looks familiar, when all energy has suddenly vanished, when the very person who could best help me through this is the very one who is gone. That that's so resonant, you know, with especially uh, people who've lost a spouse. Mm-hmm. Yes, um, there's just you know, it's so hard to imagine anything being comforting because your comfort was that other person. Um, it, it's true of other losses, but I do think there's a particular intensity of that. Um, losing the person you live with and tell everything to and all of that. Well, absolutely. I always think of grief as not one thing, but a myriad of losses, each grief. And so when you think of losing a spouse, you've lost you've lost a history, you've lost a future, you've lost an everyday companion, you've lost maybe a best friend, you've lost um, a a position as a spouse. You've lost so many different things, maybe a financial partner in life. You've lost so many different things in one loss. There's there's no other loss that really has so many different ways it affects you. And just to add to the list, many people have lost a co-parent. Yes, thank you. As as yeah. in my as in my case. Thank you, you very know, much. Which, yes. Yes, which is um, yeah. When when I work with people who are now single parenting after a loss, it's really difficult making them transition into yes. being kind of everything. <laughs> yes. You know, um, because we do divide divide in couples by by natural skills sometimes. Sure. Right. Uh, well, and and what a way to be thrown into cope uh, to, to single parenting when you have to support your children in their grief. At the same time, you're grieving. Hundred percent, hundred percent. But also, it keep it does keep you kind of focused on the on the future often mm-hmm. on going forward. Mm-hmm. Let's take another 
break. Listeners, you can go to weatheringgrief.com, my website, or the Good Grief Host page to find all kinds of ways to reach me. And to find Kara Bowman, you can go to griefpoetry.com and carabowman.com. Back soon. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. This is Good Grief host Cheryl Jones. Whether you're in grief, crisis, deep loss, or transition, working with the right therapist can move you forward like nothing else. That's why I'm happy to be sponsoring BetterHelp. Their user-friendly platform connects you with a therapist uniquely suited to support you. If you want to know more, follow the link on my host page or go to betterhelp.com slash goodgrief. That's betterhelp.com slash goodgrief and receive a 10% discount for the first month. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Functional Medicine with Dr. Robbins looks at how natural healing and biological dentistry can safely and effectively treat most health problems. You'll hear about the innovations in both traditional and alternative medicine therapies with doctors and dentists, along with discussions with chiropractors, medical experts, homeopaths, naturopaths, and energetic healers. It's great to have all the best information in one place. And Functional Medicine with Dr. Robbins brings it all together. Listen Thursdays at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific, on Voice of America Health and Wellness. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. I've been talking with Kara Bowman about her book, Heartbreak to Hope, and you know, during the break, Kara, I was saying that um, I, I, I'm sure I'm going to recommend your book because you capture some of the more universal um, experiences of grief in a way that would be very comforting to people who think they're the only one who ever felt like that, <laughs> you, you know, which is so common um, as if everyone else somehow has the you know, magic ticket, and um, you're the only only one who feels lost and shredded and and hurting all over and everything. Um, but I wonder how many of the poems uh, really were about your own experience, and how many were about 
your observations of your clients? You know, how do you come about writing a particular poem? Um, well, I'm I'm really glad to hear that it hit you as capturing different aspects of grief because that's what I set out to do. The the book was um, born because so often I would recommend. Um, books to people um, who are grieving. There are so many wonderful books out there. And they would either not buy them or they would tell me the books were sitting on their nightstand or people would give them books and they'd say, they're sitting on my nightstand. I can't get through a chapter. People just mm-hmm. don't have the bandwidth to read when they're grieving often. Not Absolutely. not always. Some, some people do. Some people devour them. But, but a lot of people, they just don't have the attention span to read. And so what I wanted to do was give people bite-sized chunks to help people feel both recognized um, and to help people put into words things they're experiencing that they didn't even, they don't even recognize themselves yet. Um, Mm -hmm. So name things that they may be experiencing and then they can say, yes, I'm experiencing that. So, um, so most of my client, my poems were taken from my clients' lives, but of course, I had to understand this aspect of grief in order to write the poem. So in that sense, they're taken from mine as well. Um, but um, almost every poem, I thought about a client and I thought about one aspect that that client uh, of grief that client really brought out. And I tried to capture just one little piece of grief in each poem. And the poems kind of came to me more than more than I sat down and came to the poems. It was very much a bottom-up process, not a top-down process. And I would wake up in the mm-hmm. middle of the night and jot down a few lines and and fill it out in the morning. And it wrote itself very, very quickly. Um, be, and I, I, I think most of them um, were clients and most mm-hmm. of them were, were specific um, people that I now I sm- now smile when I read the poem and think of the person. And <laughs> did did um, you tell people? You know, did you show them poems that related to their experiences, or did people ever pick up on that? Or uh, I don't think your book's been out that long. And, um, uh, generally, not. There was there was a family member, and I said, "Oh, I there was one." you know, some of the poetry has really specific things in it. And um, there was a family member. I said, oh, I wrote one about you. I'm sure you'll recognize it. And he did not recognize it. I had to tell him. Um, uh, That's funny. Yeah. And there was something he specifically did that was in the poem, but he didn't, he didn't remember. And there was another poem that I, um, teenage girl who was a friend, she, she was describing something to me and she said could about how her phone her she she lost a friend and she and her phone doesn't ring anymore and i she said could you write a poem for me and i wrote a poem just for her uh, about that um i could read that if you'd like um, absolutely that would be wonderful um my phone doesn't ping with the joke that was just between us and the small doses of love you gave me all throughout the day My heart still jumps a bit every time I hear the chime, hoping, thinking it might be you. But then I remember, and the dismay washes through me again, because it will, I'm sorry, the dismay washes through me 
because it will never be you again. So that's such a such a common experience that uh, I I wonder if it's going to be transposed into you'll never text me again or something. <laughs> but <laughs> you know, because uh, a lot of the younger people I know really don't talk on the phone well, very much. That may have been <laughs> about text. Now that you're saying that, I'm I'm looking at it. I, that may have been about texting. Uh huh. But you know that sense of ongoing connection. Uh, yes. I I know. Even now, my my mother died in um, twenty thirteen, no twenty fourteen, and uh, even now I put my hand on my cell phone to call, or mm-hmm. I wonder why she hasn't. Call. I mean those those kinds of things that happen. I'm in no denial that she's dead, but. Uh, at all, but there's something that it's like a habit of mind that just doesn't quit. <laughs> you oh, know? absolutely! The idea that someone will call you or get in touch in some way, uh, and the not that not happening lasts for a very long time. Yeah, I tell people that your brain is not a computer, and when somebody dies, there is not a switch that goes from on to off. Your brain, they are integrated into you your your brain everywhere they're integrated into daily habits into memories into dreams of the future and it takes many iterations for neural pathways to change and it takes a long 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 time for the brain to erase unused neural pathways so um the brain erases, erases neural pathways that aren't used when we're sleeping, um, so it can take it can take decades for something like that to to be erased. And I have to tell you, I'm not particularly keen on having it erased because uh-huh. Uh-huh. that's where the that's where the connection lives. If I'm interpreting that as my mind connecting to my love for that person. Uh, it's fine with me, then it, <laughs> you know. It, I, it makes me laugh a little bit. Yeah, like they're not going to call you. Not that way, anyway, right? Yeah. But um, I, I've I've found the more years it is since these losses in my own life, the less I want any of it to go away. Yeah, and so that's the that's the um one of the tasks of grief is finding an enduring connection with with whoever died we used to talk in terms of of getting over it or healing from it or putting it in your past and and they now know researchers now know that that healthy grievers don't do that they change the connection they find a way to take that person into their present and their future in a healthy way that recognizes um, recognizes that they're gone, just as you just named, um, but without the without the upset and the overwhelming emotions of realizing that they're gone every single time you think of them. But finding an enduring connection is is part of the grief process. Finding a way to integrate the person into your life in an ongoing yeah. way. Mm-hmm. I feel like one of my one of the things that I am focused on a lot is adding gratitude and joy to the list of grief experiences mm. because um, that's the balancing point. Uh, so 
so grateful to have been loved by these people, right? Or, And as we said on the break also, not everyone has, you know, grief is still present when the relationship was bad. Um, that's, that's a whole different complication, isn't it? But uh, when it comes to my wife in particular, I, I really have a lot of gratitude. And mm-hmm. that becomes a bigger and bigger part the more years go by. Yeah. And so th- was that something that you worked at or was that something that that naturally grew? I mean, I was very grateful for her when she was alive and for our relationship and living with her death for so long because she was never well, um, really cultivated that in me. Um, you know, every every year she was still alive was a, a cause for great gratitude, right? So I think I did get more in that habit when I was younger. I didn't know how to really feel gratitude, to be honest. But I didn't expect it would outlive. I didn't expect to feel it after she died. Yeah. That, well. that came as a surprise. But in fact, I still did. It didn't go away because she died. Because... To me, that was a simple matter that her body quit. It was no one's fault. You know, it didn't change anything about the way I felt about her. Mm -hmm. Um, It it was just a drag that her body wasn't there. Yes, that's a big loss. But I didn't feel a loss of love, if that makes sense. So I also didn't feel a loss of gratitude. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but and and you get some credit for that because some people turn to to anger at the world and 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 a sense of unfairness and and why me and i think i want to credit stephen levine for that okay okay (laughs) we spent a lot of time with him and he he was he's no longer living but he was all about accepting the moment and Mm -hmm. just writing it out and and um you know your your internal experience never being the enemy I guess. Right. Um, and so that and, gives gives more permission. Right. And th- and this is what I what I tell clients is he may have given you the tool but you're the one who picked up the tool and used it. Well, so. thank you for that. I I I appreciate I'm not deflecting the compliment, mm-hmm. but I just have to give him credit, you know. Okay, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Our greatest yep. teachers deserve to be spoken. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I learned a lot from him. Absolutely. And and I hope people will pick up your book because I think that in the same way, it makes it it um, will help people to appreciate their experience of grief mm-hmm. um, to 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 read it named in a poetic way. He was a poet. Maybe that's part of why I'm thinking about him and mm. um, a couple of the other. Um, I guess, grief workers that I've encountered. Similarly poetic, I think poetry really has a greater capacity to capture um, the experience of grief. I know you agree with that. I, I do. I, I think it, it speaks to us on two levels. It's on the verbal and on the emotional. Mm, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, Thank you for being with me today. I've really enjoyed our conversation, and I hope that people will go look for your book, Heartbreak to Hope, 
um, keep in touch since we are nearly local and um, see what you do next. Well, thank you so much and thank you for this opportunity, but also thank you so, so much for the work you do and for supporting so many grievers and for making Absolutely. grief public. You are welcome. This has been Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. I look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation. Thank you so much for joining us for Good Grief. Please come back next Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Cheryl Jones, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a meaningful week. Abre mi corazón.